Exodus, this is week nine of Exodus, so we have been trekking along here. And then next week, Pastor Brian will preach on Exodus 19 through 31. So that'll be, that'll be interesting to see how he can cover that many chapters in one day. I was struggling this week with, with, trying, to cha- with trying to cover three chapters, Exodus 16, 17, 18. And in these three chapters, there's a lot that happens. And so I'm going to try to break it all down real quickly, but I won't get to go into very many details like I want to because there's lots and lots and lots of little details I could go off on and talk about for a long time, but we're going to keep it simple this morning, which is kind of a theme that we're going to be talking about, simplicity, the simplicity of following God. It's a simple thing. It is. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, I want to give just a a brief kind of background of where we've been so far in Exodus. Uh, So to to go all the way back, if you've been paying attention or if you've uh, all my Bible scholars out there know that Genesis, it's this, this story kind of started in Genesis where you've got Joseph and he moved his family because of famine into uh, Egypt. And then Exodus 1 uh, started and, and we see that the Israelites have become so numerous that the Egyptians didn't know what to do and so they put him in slavery. And this was talked about and prophesied about back in Genesis 15 where Abraham's, uh, God told Abraham that they will be enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. So 430 years go by when finally the people of Israel break out, which we saw last week, and um, Mr. Andy had the privilege of speaking about the exodus of exodus. He had the key part where they actually left. They, They exited out. That's what exodus stands for, to exit. And so he had that whole theme there where they left Egypt really quickly and they got out of there, and the, the Pharaoh and his army chased them down, chapters 13 14, and they crossed over the Red Sea. The Israelites did, but the Pharaoh and his army did not, and they get crushed. And then we heard Andy singing last week, Exodus 15. So if you didn't hear that singing, it's still recorded, and so it's out there. If you want to go and listen to him singing and dancing, uh, Exodus 15. And so that was, so this whole time, that's, that's real, real, really brief, 430 years of experience of the Hebrew people. And now, uh, last week also, Andy mentioned that this kind of beginning story of this wilderness experience, where finally they cross over the Red Sea, they're singing and dancing, and now they're like, now what? And so they, they find a place uh, where they, they find water, but there was bitter water, and God turned it around to sweet water. And then they found an oasis of, does anybody know what the oasis was called at the end of chapter 15? Oasis of? Elim, yes. And so they found this oasis. And now guess what I get to talk about? Them leaving the oasis. Ugh, right? I mean, what, who leaves an oasis like that? As Andy said, it was just a taste of, of what they would experience in the promised land. But you got to imagine how they felt leaving that oasis. Like, what are we doing? Like, we have a place here with 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Like, why are we leaving this place? Why is God moving us? Because it wasn't their final place of rest in the promised land. There was still a better place. But for me, I would be like chilling out in that oasis of Elim, you know, for like, what are we doing? Why are we leaving? But then we leave, and now we're in another wilderness-type experience, and we'll be in chapter X, we'll be in Exodus 16, 17, 18. We won't be here for a month, but the time of that is a month. It's a month span. What happens between 16, 17, and 18 is just a month. And then 
we'll get into the Sinai narratives in Exodus 19. And that narrative, they're finally at the Mount Sinai, this famous place where Moses gets the Ten Commandments and gets the, the teachings of the law of God. And they're there in that area for a whole year. And that continues on through the rest of Exodus. They're still in that area through Leviticus and even into Numbers. And then finally they leave again. And then how long were they in this wilderness all together until they finally enter the promised land in the book of Joshua? How many, how many years was it? 40 years. Yes. You can tell I'm a teacher because I ask a lot of questions and answers. Yeah, they're in there for 40 years. So I get the very, very, very beginning of this 40-year experience. And so I get a little taste of pretty much everything that's going to happen in 40 years. We see it here in Exodus 16, 17, and 18. It actually repeats itself again in the book of Numbers. It's, if you read the book of Numbers and read, read ex- this part in Exodus, you kind of think, didn't I, already, didn't I already read this? A lot has happened the same way, but there's a little bit of a different tone that God has with the people. But before we get too much uh, further, I want to read Exodus 16, just verses 1 through 4, and ask one of my youth to come up, Mr. Sean. Sean shares the word. Mr. Sean Sarajoli. One of our lovely youth who shares and helps me teach on Wednesday nights, the Bible study. So he's going to read Exodus 16, 1 through 4. The whole community of Israel set out from Elim and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin, between Elim and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around posts, pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Thank you. Give it up for Sean. Sponsor, Julie. Thank you. Give it up for all the youth in our church, all the lovely youth over here. Got to point them out. I'm like a proud grandfather. Look at my grand, my little grandfather. Oh, I've been doing youth ministry for a long time. Now I'm a grandfather in youth ministry. All right. So uh, yes, this story here opens up this this uh, narrative of them needing food. Right. I mean, in the desert, you're in the wilderness. You're you're hungry. You need food. And so here in chapter 16, it's all about this, this scene of, of manna comes down from heaven. God, God sends it to them. And here's what I mean by the different tone that we see in Exodus. And then if you read in Numbers 11, you see the same situation happen again, where there's a different tone, though, because they're like crying out, what are we, we going to do, Moses? We need food. Help us. Help us. God's, God's not like, oh, my gosh, why are you complaining so much? He, he comes down and gently, yeah, okay, here it is. Here's, here's the manna that you need. Here's the, what you need in this wilderness to survive. Thank you. And they're like, oh, actually, can we, since we're, you know, getting some things right now, can we get some meat too? Yeah, here you go. Quail. All right, here's some quail to eat. And so they eat manna and quail in chapter 16, and they were given instructions to uh, pick up just as much as they need just for that day. And then on the sixth day, pick up twice as much so that on the seventh day, the Sabbath, they can rest. So then you've got some people in this scene here where they pick up more food and they try to save it and they got leftovers in the morning and they open up their leftover box and there's maggots because God's like, see, like don't, 
get leftovers. Just get what you need for that day. Then you also had people that tried to look for food on the Sabbath day, and they were disappointed, and they didn't, they didn't see any. So I wonder if those people actually had twice the amount on the sixth day or if they didn't do that, and then the seventh day they're just fasting. Speaking of fasting, <laughs> we had a great class of fasting on Thursday. And so uh, we're going to put some information on. If you missed it, we will put some information. Um, I think it's already on our website that you can see on there about fasting. And so, uh, but, but I won't talk too much about that because I could. But um, So our key idea today, what I want to, to go over with this whole thing in these chapters is that we as the, the people of God, we need to learn how to be thankful in the simplicity of God's leading while in the wilderness. To be thankful in the simplicity of God's leading. And you can put that up there, Andy. Just how, how it is simple. And we can, be, we can be thankful that it is so simple to lead. I mean, these people are, hey, we need some, some bread. Here, daily bread each day. Here you go. Thank you, thank you. But you see them complaining a lot, don't you? We see a lot, a lot of complaining. Now, for me as a father, I don't need to teach my kids how to complain, right? Hey, you're complaining wrong. Like, come on, man. Like, do better. Complain. I don't have to do that. They, they know how we, we all do. We all know how to complain. And we can p- complain about a lot of things. We can sit around and complain and complain and complain. And then you got the one person in the room be like, let's, let's talk about how thankful for we are for things. And then it gets quiet. I'm uh, thankful that uh, I got to go. <laughs> um, so... Being thankful, though, is something that I do need to teach my kids. Hey, let's be thankful for this. We do a lot of things with our kids, right? We do a lot of things. At the end of the day, there's like, can we go get ice cream? Well, we did this. I have to, I have to, we did this and this and this and this. Don't you remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, be thankful for all those things we did. Okay, okay. And it's starting to work with them. They're not like, well, I want ice cream. No, they realize, oh, yeah, we have done a lot. We have done a lot. They always want to do more. We have to, but I, be thankful for what we did today. We did a lot of fun things. Okay, yeah, you're right, Dad. Be thankful. And so we, as the people of God, we need to learn how to be thankful in the simple things that God is leading us to do. Here you see in Exodus 16, the people of God are now under God's leadership. They have broken out through God's power and his mighty hand, broken out of Egypt and out of the rulership of Pharaoh. And out of slavery, God has freed them. And now they're learning how to be led by God. This is a new thing for them. How, how are we supposed to be led by God? This is also before, obviously, it's before Exodus 19, which in Exodus 19 is when Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the law, the Torah, the teachings of God. And so this is before that. So they don't, they don't have that yet. But God is, is testing them to see where they are and to see what he needs to do, what he, what he can teach them. He's testing them here. So they're, they're learning what it means. Under Pharaoh's rule, you can put this slide up, under Pharaoh's rule and their work, he told them, make as much bricks for that day, Exodus 5. That's what the people were to do under, under Pharaoh's rule. Make as much bricks for this day. Meet your quota. That's what you got to do. That's, that's your work today. And they, they were struggling with that, right? Oh, my goodness. They had to make these bricks. And then under God's rule, Pick up as much food for that day. And it's the same phrasing there in both, both these stories. And it's meant to contrast to see, hey, look, do you, 
you sure you want to go back under Pharaoh's leadership? Because they're complaining, why are we here? Why can't we go back to Egypt? And we had as much bread as possible. But did you forget that you had to make bricks every day and the same amount of bricks every day and meet your quota? Now guess what your work is? What? Your work is to pick up bread each day and eat. Oh, I guess that is, that is better, right? Yeah, that's better. Be thankful for that. Okay, let's be thankful for that. And so they're learning how to be thankful in this uh, following after God. And so I want to talk about these, these four simplicities of following God in the wilderness. The first simplicity of following God in the wilderness is this, simple. Eat your daily bread. Simple. Daily bread. How simple is that? I mean, I know we, I don't have to, we don't have to teach each other how to be hungry for something. We just are. And simple just to eat your daily bread. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3, which is the teaching of, of Moses to the new generation. This is 40 years after this scene in Deuteronomy. You have them about to enter into the promised land. And Moses is teaching this new generation of people who all these people in the wilderness have, have passed off. Just read the book of Numbers. You'll see what happens there. book of Numbers is... is it's, whew, it's rough in the wilderness there. But here it's, it's simple in the wilderness in Exodus because, um, um, because we're still learning how to do this. And so in Deuteronomy, um, it's a book written for this new generation coming, and he says this to them. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land of the Lord, swore to, the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, which was quoted by Jesus while he was in a wilderness of testing for 40 days. Then Matthew 6, 11, Jesus teaches us how to pray. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today the food we need. John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 58, Jesus says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna. Huh, call back to this scene. But, but will live forever. Whoever eats from me, that I give you, the provisions that Jesus gives us will live forever. So what is manna? Yes, I just said it. Manna is that. What is it? Manna stands for, simply in Hebrew, it's what is it? That's what it was. That's what they called manna. What is it? It's like when I ask my mom, hey, mom, what, what's for dinner tonight? She says, food. So what kind of food, mom? Good food. What kind of good food, mom? Hot good food. Oh, all right. Anything else, mom? Nope, that's it. You're going to eat it. Okay. And so this is what manna was, was just this, what is it? And so it's, it was kind of a mystery. We, 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 we tend to think it was it's bread-like substance. And it's this mystery, though, of, of what exactly it is. And here Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the bread of life. I'm the, the manna from heaven. So if manna was called, what is it? There's a mystery about Jesus, isn't there? Like, we, we can know him, we do know him, but there's still this mystery that keeps us coming back for more. 
If you think you've got Jesus all figured out, then you don't know the same Jesus because there's a mystery involved with who Jesus is, and that's good. There's a good thing about his mysterious ways that he does things, and it's compelling, and it's driving to know him more. I want more of this man. I want more of this Jesus. I want more. So my, my, my encouragement to us all, the simplicity of, of following God, eating your daily bread is this, is just to simply sit down with Jesus each day. Sit down with him. Let him minister to you. Let him talk to you. Let him fill you with joy. Give him all of your anxieties and worries, and he'll turn those things around. Eat your daily bread with him. I had a moment in my life where I was starving. I was a small child, about uh, seven years old, and we were standing in line at the Brownsville Revival. So we've talked about Brownsville Revival back in, um, started in 1995 in Brownsville uh, church, church there in Pensacola. And this wonderful, amazing revival, Pastor Brian mentioned it a lot. He was ministered by it when he was in college. And I was there as a kid. We went there as a family. And so I remember standing in line at Brownsville. There was a line out the door to get into this revival happening in the church. And as a kid, I'm hungry. Mom, I'm hungry. I'm starving. Why did we come all the way to Pensacola for me to starve? I could have starved at home, Mom, where there was food in my pantry. But you've brought me out here into this wilderness to stand here for revival? What is that? And now I'm starving. And so as I was starving in line, my father gets out of line and he goes to McDonald's and he brings it back to me and he feeds me. I'm like, ah, McDonald's from heaven. Thank you, dad. And then we went in to the Browns revival and I don't remember much except sleeping under the pew because I was so tired. <laughs> I was so tired, but there was revival happening and I've heard many, many stories, but I remember as a kid, I literally was sleeping under the pew because we were in there apparently for hours. My mom says we were in there for hours and she was like, we were in there probably five hours, but it felt like minutes because of just the, the presence of God in that room. So spend time each day with Jesus. He will feed you. Next, second simplicity of following God in the wilderness is this, be thankful, be thankful. Let's work on that, being thankful. Exodus 17, one through seven, we have this scene here and we'll read it, where they are thirsty. At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? And why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, they continued to argue with Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord. He's praying, and what should I do, Lord? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai, strike the rock, and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told, and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Moses named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, which means arguing, because the people of Israel argue with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? So in the wilderness, our basic human needs are amplified. 
We need food. We need water. We need, com- we need people around us. We need safety. In the- we need safety. And-, and all these things come to our forefront of our mind. We're in the wilderness. We're, we're dying of thirst. What do we think about? We think about water because we-, we need it. We need that. And so in the wilderness, we are just, we- we're in need. And so I, I feel like we're-, we're in a type of wilderness. I feel like we're in the- like a wilderness all the time, just symbolically, where we're, we're constantly feeling this this need, it's good. It's need for God. I, I need the Lord. I need this daily bread. I need this water. I'm a needy person, God. He knows it, and I need that. And so I was in a wilderness one time, the wilderness of the sea and the ocean. And as a small child, I was probably about 10 years old, and I was with a family, the Larson family, and I traveled on a catamaran sailboat with a man named Gary Larson. And there I was. That's not me right there, but that's actually Garrett Larson, his son. But I was on this same boat when I was like 10 with him. Me, Joanna, and Gary Larson went on the sailboat, this catamaran. If you know, remember Gary Larson. Uh, he was somewhat of a wild man, uh, great man of God. Wild, look at his grin there he has. He was so happy being on the water in this catamaran. And so as a 10-year-old, we jumped on there. I was feeling a little nervous. But he's like, oh, be fine. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. So we jump on and we start going straight, not, not parallel with the shore, but straight into the ocean. I'm like, are we supposed to go this far? And we're going and I can't see the land behind me. So I don't know how many miles that is, but I couldn't see the land. Five miles? I, okay. Yeah, that was, I'm serious. I was five miles out on this catamaran with Gary Larson and his crazy daughter, Joanna Larson, who plays bass up here. Joanna's screaming, let's tip this thing. Let's tip it. I want to jump in the water. My sharks are going to eat us. I've seen Jaws. What are we doing? And so, we, and there's no motor on this thing. It's, you're, you're, you're bound by the wind and you're just being pushed by the wind. And Gary's like, ha, 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 let's go. Turn around, turn around. I'm screaming. Finally, he's like, all right, fine. So we turn around and we start making our way and I'm seeing the shore, realizing my need for this the, the basic need of just being on land. I'm like, I was not created to, to be in the water. I don't have gills. I can swim, but not five miles. I'm 10. And so we get back to the land, and I remember landing on the land, and I get down on my knees, and I just start kissing the ground. <laughs> Sand's all in my mouth. I'm like, please, land. Thank you, God, for this land. And I'm sure I was probably dying of thirst as well. But looking back on that story, it, I mean, it really was terrifying. But looking back on the, that story, I, I am really thankful for that memory. Um, if you know, Gary Larson passed away a few years ago. And uh, he was an awesome man of God in this church and um, a great father figure to me. Um, but just that memory and all those memories with him, I've, I've learned to be thankful. Ephesians 5.20 says this, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to everything. Give thanks. Even when you are in the wilderness, got to learn how to be thankful still. Lord, you provide. And if you're not feeling thankful, it's a good opportunity to start praying. Lord, help me. Lord, I want to, uh, I, need, I need you right now. And then he, he answers and be thankful for that. All right, the next scene here. The this, this third simplicity of following God in the wilderness is this is that it's simple. God is who we belong to. 
God is who we belong to. In Exodus 17, 8 through 16, we see a scene there where, where Israel encounters their first battle. This is their first battle that they encounter, and they're fighting the Amalekites, this uh, rugged group of people who came from Amalek, which was a descendant of Esau. If you read in Genesis 36, he was a descendant of Esau. And if you know who Esau was, Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob is the father of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. That's where we get the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Jacob. And you see here, Jacob, Israel, fighting Esau, the Amalekites. And if you know their history, they, they had a lot of battles that happened in their own personal life between the two of them, twin brothers. And so here's a battle here that Israel ends up defeating the Amalekites, which was amazing because the Amalekites were some, I believe they were a strong group of people who were, were warrior type people, but, but God took care of them. And he says this in verse 14. Oh, and this is an introduction to Joshua. This is the first time we see Joshua, who is the commander of this army. And later on, we'll see Joshua take over this group in Joshua. The same Joshua takes over after Moses. So this is an introduction to Joshua an introduction to the Israelites' first battle that we'll see lots of other battles. But here in Exodus 17, 14 through 15, says this, After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read aloud to Joshua, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now, two things really cool about this story. One is that this is an, we see how the scriptures, the Bible, was written, was, was created right here. God is telling Moses to write this down on a scroll. Oh, so a little, I love these little scriptures that the Bible, when the Bible talks about itself, like, hey, you know, it puts itself in there. Like, write this down on a scroll. Moses writes it down, and, and we're reading what was written down. And what he wrote down, it's interesting, I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Now, if you go to 1 Samuel 15, don't go there, but go there later, you see another battle that Saul, the first king of Israel, gets into with the Amalekites. And God tells him, hey, Saul, erase the memory of the Amalekites. Destroy them. Saul's like, okay. Samuel, the prophet, told Saul to do that. Saul's like, okay, I'll do that. Does he do it? No, he doesn't do it. He doesn't erase their memory. He instead captures their king and keeps some of the uh, prophets and keeps some of the, the sheep and the cattle for himself and thinks, this is a good plan. God's like, no, I wanted you to erase their memory. I've been talking about this since Exodus 17, that these people will be erased. And Saul, you could have been used for my glory to, to fulfill prophecy, to fulfill scripture, but you didn't do it, Saul. All right, that's another message. But that's tying into that whole thing right there where God told him to do this and he didn't do it. And so we see a picture here of the, the scriptures being written, which is awesome. And we see this, this battle that God is going to take care of them. And he says in verse 15, Moses built an offer, altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. And this is why I said the simplicity of following God is that we belong to him. This banner, it's like, a, like a flag, like a, uh, this is our team. This is our, our army. This banner, God is our banner. God is our team. We're on God's team. God's not on my team. I'm on God's team. I belong to him. He is my banner. He is the one leading. He is the one that's giving me the marching orders. 
It's simple. Gives you orders, you do it. So simple. All right, so we get our daily bread, simple, eating. We get, this might not be simple, the second one, <laughs> as I think about it, being thankful, but we're learning how to be thankful. It can, it can be pretty easy to be, to be a person of great gratitude and thankfulness. Third, God is the one we belong to. Just follow him. And then lastly, this fourth simplicity of following God in the wilderness. There are people to help you. <laughs> yes, we're all rookies at doing this thing called life. Nobody has been here before. Every age you turn is the first time you turn that age. But there are people here to help you. There are people to give you help that have gone before you. And so in Exodus 18, we see Jethro. Remember him? Father-in-law of Moses. He comes back into the scene and he gives some wise advice to Moses because Moses is trying to lead hundreds of thousands of people in the desert, in the wilderness. And he's trying to lead them and he's, and he's trying to take on every single burden, every single conversation. All right, what do you need? Okay, what do you need? What do you need? Hours a day, 12 hours a day or so. And Jethro sees what's going on and he said, Moses, this isn't good leadership. Let me, let me give you some advice to how to better distribute the leadership to other people, to other trusted people. So here's Jethro giving this advice to Moses in Exodus 18, 17 through 24. This is not good, Moses' father-in-law exclaimed. You're going to wear yourself out and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me and let me give you a word of advice. And may God be with you you should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. Teach them God's decrees and give them his instructions. Show them how to conduct their lives. But select from all the people some capable, honest men who fear God and hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over... Sorry, I think of funny things in my head, and then I don't say them, but I say them to myself, and so I was laughing at that part. Uh, men who fear God and hate bribes. I'm just thinking about a lot of people out there that are call themselves leaders of, of God, but they are being bribed and stuff. So that's another message. So put that one on the shelf there. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. They should always be available to solve the people's common disputes, but have them bring the major cases to you. Let the leaders decide the smaller matters themselves. They will help you carry the load, making the task easier for you. If you follow this advice, and if God commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure the pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Moses saw that, that simple fact that people are here to help you. Oh, okay. You don't have to do it all on your own. You can get that help needed, and it will be beneficial not only for you, but it will be beneficial for everybody. All right. I want to just reiterate some of these simplicities, but as I do that, worship team or anybody that's coming up to, to sing, you guys can come on up. I'm about to close here, and we have a prayer team that will get available. You can start to get available. We also have communion this morning. And so before we do all that, I, I want to just reiterate these simple things that we do as, as followers of God these simple things we do each day, eating our daily bread, communing with Christ, 
fellowshipping with him each and every day, being thankful even in the middle of the wilderness, learning how to be thankful in times that are, that are difficult, rest in belonging to him, knowing that he's our leader, he's our banner, rest in just knowing you belong to him, and always seek help. Seek help from other people. We need that. I want to finish my story I shared about Brownsville. There's a part I left out on purpose um, to come back to and to kind of end in, in this thought. Because I'm talking about wilderness experiences. I'm talking about really life that we're all traveling through. And you know along the way in, these, in this wilderness where we're going from one place to another where we know that this isn't our home. That, we, that the Lord has provided and made a place for us and has went before us and made a place and prepared a place for us. And we know that we have eternity with him, the new heavens and the new earth. And so you might be thinking, well, I was trying to define wilderness. Like, what exactly, like, wilderness? And, and I'm just in this message alone, I, I feel like wilderness is just kind of life, like going from, from one place to the next. Like we're, we're all, we can all talk about these little wildernesses that we experience throughout life where we go through these, these seasons and things, but really this whole life is a type of wilderness where we're just not quite there yet. Do you feel that? There's just something missing always. You know what I mean? Like there's just always this feeling there's something missing. With Christ, he, he, he feels that where he is eternity. Jesus Christ, the firstborn from the dead, the one that's been resurrected from the dead, the only one been resurrected from the dead, dwells through his Holy Spirit in me. So in that way, I feel complete and whole, and I feel his presence and knowing he's with me. But there's still this sense of we're not quite there yet. We're not quite there yet. And so in that Brownsville story, one of the reasons that we went to Brownsville, there's a revival happening, and it went for years. And millions of pe- literally millions of people went to this revival, got saved, radically changed, healed of diseases. Amazing things were happening. So my family and I, we went to Brownsville because my father was diagnosed with uh, cancer, melanoma cancer that w- was untreatable at the time. And so we go to Brownsville out of desperation. Now, as a seven-year-old kid, I don't really quite know all that. But looking back now on my story, I hear what happened. My mom and dad, we went there and took our whole family there because we were seeking a miracle from the Lord. That he was going to heal my father of an uncurable disease. Thinking, this is a a revival is happening. This is going to happen. We're going. This is it. We're going to receive a healing and a miracle in this moment. And miracles and healings happened all around us. Story after story, people. But sadly, my father passed away a year later after that. So, me, I'm faced with this, well, what, what exactly, what happened? Like, why didn't he get healed that day? And now I know my, man, my, my father, a man of God, ultimately receives his healing with the Lord. I know that. There's still, though, this sense of wilderness that I, I, I feel 
all the time in my life. And so I know that there will be a time when we reunite with all those who have gone before us. The, the Larry Breedings and the Gary Larsons and all those people who have been through the wilderness and have passed on, but they're with the Lord. And that's something to be thankful for. <laughs> that's how you got to learn how to be thankful. You know what? I'm going to be thankful somehow, some way, despite the pain and suffering that I feel and the, and the things that we go through, we're going to be thankful because God is faithful. God is so faithful. Let's go ahead and stand. And if you're on the prayer team, come on and up and I know there's things that we need to pray for, and if you're feeling anything that we've mentioned and you just want to pray and you want somebody to come with you and knowing that you're not alone, that you need somebody to help you through something, there's, there's plenty of people, loving people, that'll pray for you. If you just want to pray at your seat, do that, but let's just enter into a time of prayer right now. And then we're going to take communion, and uh, I believe Ann and Dalton will help me with the communion. And if Linda Byron, would you guys also help with the communion? Let me pray, and if you want to come up forward and receive prayer right now, just needing somebody to support you, needing the Lord to, to enter your heart. Maybe you're feeling anxious and uh, restless because of this wilderness. It can be very difficult can be very hard, but hopefully we, we saw how simple it can be, though, where we, we do just spend that time with the Lord. We do receive what he's done for us on the cross. We're thankful for what he's done, knowing that we're not alone, knowing that we belong to God. So, Lord, here we are with our brokenness, our neediness, God. We're not denying that we're needy. We know we are. But we want to give that to you, Lord. We, we don't want to be people who complain and people that grumble. Maybe some of us were complaining and grumbling because the, the coffee maker at church wasn't working and we're, we're really gr cranky because we need our caffeine, Lord. But God, we need you more than that. We don't want to be people of, of, of grumbling and ungratefulness, Lord. We want to be thankful, even in the middle of suffering. You, you say to rejoice in suffering. We want to be people that are, that are rejoicing because we have a good God who holds us and who holds us for eternity. That we found a place in you, God. We belong to you. So let's spend a few minutes in prayer right now, and then we're going to come and uh, receive communion. And then we'll receive uh, a meal together. We can hang out. So let's go ahead and pray just on your own and feel free to come up here if you would like.